0: Beyond the Challenges is a podcast where executives in the insurance and financial services industry share their insights and experiences. Hosts Kevin and Sandy Doherty talk with today's top business leaders about what keeps them up at night and the biggest opportunity organizations can capitalize on today. We encourage you to listen, share, and subscribe to our program. Kevin and Sandy Doherty each have over 20 years of experience in insurance and financial services corporate leadership, and executive search. They are the owners of Global Corporate Solutions and Global Corporate Leaders. Global Corporate Solutions partners with organizations to gain efficiencies and contain costs. Global Corporate Leaders partners with organizations to enhance and evaluate talent. The On the Challenges podcast is sponsored by Exactuals, Perfecting Payments and the Data Driving Them, Techficient, Transforming the protection journey with intelligent data and machine learning to drive better outcomes. And Journey Guide, improving your clients' retirement outcomes through interactive planning software. Welcome to Beyond the Challenges. Here are your hosts, Kevin and Sandy.
1: Today, we're talking with Brian Lobber, Senior Vice President, Disability Income at Ash Brokerage. Brian has served as a, an advisor, a wholesaler, regional VP, chief marketing officer, just to name a few of his roles over his career. In his role at Ash Brokerage, Brian works with field distribution to increase awareness about income protection for individuals, business owners, and their employees. Brian, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the industry?
2: Well, good morning, Kevin, and thank you and Sandy for letting me have this opportunity to visit about something I think we both is really important. I kind of giving my back when I kind of came into insurance business almost by accident. I was getting ready to graduate from college and I was doing interviews and I actually was interviewing with other companies, and I interviewed with an insurance company as the counselor told me to do it kind of as a warm-up. <laughs> so long story short, that warm-up ended up being what I decided to do because it sounded more interesting than actually selling uh, copiers and, and copy materials for a printing company that was going to make me move away from the Midwest. So I fell into the insurance business by accident as an advisor, and as I can say, the rest is history. Thanks, Brian. Yeah.
3: All sectors face challenges, but for the insurance industry, the list seems to be especially long. Many carriers seem to be struggling to stay relevant, while others are embracing new technology, reimagining distribution channels, and developing strategic partnerships. From your experience, how can carriers and BGAs embrace innovation and transformation to improve performance and drive their long-term growth?
2: You know, that's a great question because when I look at the carrier and BGA relationship, first I'll say the ones that are innovative will be the ones that continue to grow and actually uh, weather what I call the distribution storm we have right now. I thought about this question a little bit more than the others because it appears to me that we're at a kind of a crossroad with the BGAs and the carriers in the industry. Uh, It used to be thought that the BGA's role was to provide illustrations and support for underwriting and almost handling the process with technology that's gone away. So I think it's a good time for the carriers and BGAs to be thinking about what is our relationship and how do we each add value to the consumer and make it a thriving business. And I think that's where some of the BGAs are struggling. I mean, be very candid, we have an aging BGA distribution platform. Very few have the capability even to do their own commission accounting. So if you look, a lot of things was done, they expected the carrier to do it. And the carriers would do uh, all the backroom support, the underwriting, do the commissions. They would, you know, service all that. Well, there's pressure on the carriers because of their cost. They're looking to shift that cost now to the BGA because of technology. And what value does a BGA bring if they aren't doing any of that? Some carriers are going direct. That part of it. So I think it's really important that each, both the carrier and the BGA look, first of all, how can they be innovative and attract more distribution themselves? But I think they have to do it on a a very thoughtful process because if they're not innovative and invest in the technology, they may have long-term growth, but they're not making as much profit. There's a lot of pressure on margins. And the carriers can't afford to keep paying BGAs the same way they used to pay them if they're not, Taking some of that burden off, like they used to, I think it's it's a really interesting time, and it may cause a little friction between the BJS and CARES. But I I did this, I took a step back, and forget about the way we used to do it. How should the model be going forward? And they have to continue to innovate that, or some of them are going to die a slow death.
3: Thank you. So, how is Ash brokerage handling tech debt and investing in new technology?
2: Well, I've talked to you guys about this, and one of the main reasons we are going to be a factor in the marketplace is because of technology. I think you did this an interview with uh, Tim Ash a while back, and one of the attractions to me was here was my role, and I've helped a couple major DI companies build their, their disability platforms. I would get in line for resources, which is money, IT time, and everything else, I would lobby to get on other people's projects, so the other product lines, we would get together, and based on corporate needs, the carrier that they wanted to drive the most or grow the most would get a bigger allocation of IT resources and the time and energy and money. And the rest of us got what was kind of left over, or if we could you know, catch on to another project. I mean, I, I shared this week at a national conference, I felt like a lobbyist at one time because I had a small product line, disability income, and the major parts of the organization, had projects going on, so I'd go talk to them to see if I could be part of it or get a little bit of it or just kind of hook on. I felt like the little brother that wanted to take along with his other brothers and sisters that, you know, they come along if I could just get a ride with you. Ash Brokerage has a separate company they own that is all their technology. Even with the Integrity Marketing buying us, uh, that still is a separate company. So imagine being in the way I used to work, meeting the person runs the IT company, And he kind of lays out a vision for the DI product line, and I don't have to wait in line for anything. It's a matter of just prioritizing what we need to do to bring better customers to our service. And I'll give you an example. Several years ago, it was not uncommon for someone to drop a ticket and get annuity. Annuity application kind of automatically filled out. So they call it drop ticket, and it's app fulfillment. I think we're the only BGA in the country that does that on any scalable basis. And it's all because of a technology situation, and the idea came about because it's an DI is an ancillary product. You've got people doing life and annuities, and they already had that capability. Someone says, "Well, why don't we have it for DI?" So they built it. If I would have tried to get that through a major carrier, it would have been a minimum of two years, and no one else has that capability. So it's because of that, that's one example of why technology is separated from your core business. I think it's a brilliant strategy and it's one that makes me excited. We're looking at doing some things. I can share that one because we do it. We're looking at doing a couple of things that aren't being done in the industry right now in the DI industry. We'll be the innovators or the leaders in it and I really believe it's because they don't have a technology restriction. As you can tell, I get excited about that part of it.
1: <laughs> Very much so. Brian, what is the biggest challenge facing disability income insurance today?
2: Well, the limited number of carriers, Kevin. We don't have enough uh, competition to keep us sharp. And that's not just one thing. I'm excited as new carriers are starting to get ramped up and get in this business. Thanks, it will help us a lot. It's not new competition because we are not meeting the consumer need. We've been too product centric. A lot of organizations have really gone after the the more of just the physician market, high end, and that market. It was a you know contract leap or an issue in a participation increase. When I really think there's other opportunities in the marketplace, and I I really believe the carers need to broaden their view of the market. Still, write the doctors and the high end income earners, but I think there's a lot of people that could broaden and get it, and they've got a distribution challenge. I know one carrier, their top ten. BGAs do 54% of their business, and it's, of that 54% business, over 80% of it is physicians. So, when you think about that, that has served us well in the past, but if you're one-dimensional with one distribution channel with one occupation that heavily, that's a very dangerous situation to be in because, as we know, all occupations up and down with claims and Profitability and and whatnot. So, I am encouraging the carriers to not be so product centric. You know, look into the business market. Look for the the executives and the professionals. Come down a little market because of the fact that it's profitable business, and that's what it's all about. And they would, I think, that would be um, when you fight for a limited market, you tend to pay too much for it, and you make exceptions or make your product too competitive. That's not a good pre- recipe for long term profitability.
1: Brian, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities for disability insurance providers over the next three to five years?
2: One of the biggest opportunities, I think, for us to communicate the consumer need. The consumer need outweighs our ability to meet it dramatically. I think we're going to do that through social media. You know, we'll make it easier for the advisor to write in the business insurance market. As you know, all businesses have benefit requirements. It's that time of year. It's October, and what do we usually do in October? What do all employees do? We sign up for our benefits. So if you think about that, and most people doing that and I use this because of the, I don't want to say the average employee, but other than the professionals, there are literally millions of people that don't understand even what they're signing up for their employee benefits. Even if they do, they feel a little uncomfortable. There's no guidance or advice given to them. So I think that opportunity to reach the masses with the need for income protection makes total sense. I also think the other opportunity is I talk about this a lot when I talk to financial planning. There's a lot of financial planners and a lot of conversations about retirement and distribution of income. And I've boiled it down to a simple explanation. Financial planning is basically people gathering assets so that they have a stream of income when they retire so they can live comfortably. And most people, that's what they want to do. You ask all the financial planners. So I think the financial planners out there, that's a huge opportunity for us. So it's an easy question. If you were the financial planner, Kevin, is your customer in the earnings years or are they looking at the distribution years? And what do they need? If someone told me, and I thought about it, I'm of that age, I started thinking about what streams of income I need when I retire, well, that's the stream of income I need when I'm working. So it's an easy transition if you get someone to talk about the future because it's not so threatening, is to bring them back. So our ability to work with financial planners and explain that the income, the importance of income and then income protection before and during after retirement it kind of makes sense as you know people buy annuities and stuff like that to protect their stream of income they buy long term care on the risk side of it then it's just an easy question what's your income continuation plan your own you know income continuity plan and most people say i have it at work then you review their group benefits it sounds really like common sense or easy but right now you're going to see a little social campaign from a, you know, you're signed up for your benefits. What's the most important benefit? they probably say health insurance. But the problem with that is that that means you think you could get hurt or sick. Well, actually, your income is more important than health insurance. Your ability to continue to receive your income. Because if I didn't have health insurance, as long as I get back to work and pay it, I could pay my bill off. But if your income stops, everything else stops. So you'll see a little bit and take a different approach. And even though people are so busy during benefit enrollment, I think that's a good time for us to, a reminder to say, here's the need.
1: Brian, how do you see distribution changing over the next uh, few years?
2: Okay, this is kind of a hot topic. And I just spoke about this at the International Disability Income Society meeting. It's something I've been watching. First of all, we all have to be students of the business. And I work for one product line, Disability Income or Income Protection. But as I've mentioned to you, its own distribution island out there all by itself. We're part of a bigger organization or bigger industry called the financial service industry. And here's what's been happening. And here's what I'll even go so far to say what I think is going to continue to happen. There's been serious consolidation going on in the financial service industry. We'll start with BGAs. The number of BGAs has... Gone down. There's been consolidation. The bigger getting bigger and the smaller looking for partners to be strong because size does matter in our business because asset center management means the whole thing that your cost of doing business can go down. You have economy of scales. The smaller BDs don't have that. So those are being consolidated. Banks have been consolidated over the several years. I mean, I had some stats on that, but we're down to over 40 some hundred banks in the United States of America. And in 2000, we had over 8,000. Consolidation. You have the movement, you, know, you have well let's finish those. Propping casually, you see a property casualty company or a small agency, a BGA, being bought almost every week if you're out on LinkedIn. So the consolidation thing is gonna happen and a big impact has been private equity in our business. A few years back, private equities had less than 5% control or ownership in the insurance financial service industry. It's pushing 25% already in a very, very short period of time, and it looks like it's gonna continue to grow. The thing that's been growing is registered investment advisors. That number's up over 14,000. And we're gonna talk about compliance a little bit later, so I don't wanna jump in too much, but why did they move to the IRA platform? Why did they move to that platform? A lot of it, you talk to all the advisors, they wanted independence, they wanted fee-based, they wanted less compliance. And so they went out. Even some of those found early on when they went out, they had to consolidate to get, you know, a bigger shop can have more revenue, better services, and a whole bunch of other things. So there's been a little consolidation, but mainly growth in the RIA market. Benefit firms are being consolidated. So I've seen consolidation all across our industry, and the impact of private equity, everybody's kind of going, what's that mean? One history lesson, though. If you look what's happening with the private equity people buying our business, I know it's different, but it's similar to what happened many years ago. Not many years ago. Uh, We'll both think it was a long time ago, didn't it long? Remember demutualization of mutual companies? And we all were wondering, what's this mean? Why are the companies doing it? Well, they wanted access to capital in the open market. So they went public. Even some of those companies that have gone to stock ownership have private equity investments in them now. So we aren't going to change that, but we must. Watch it, pay attention to it, see who's going to get merged and who's more likely to happen. You know, was demutualization bad? Well, we we all kind of wonder, did it help the consumer? Did it do the right thing? But it raised capital for those carriers. A lot of insurance carriers have a lot of small margins, fixed costs, so they're looking for capital. So... I kind of used in the analogy, it's not exactly the same as the private equity folks in our business are similar to what happened when we demutualized. And that's what people are asking about private equity. Is it bad? Is it good? Well, I think as long as you have a growth mode in mind, it's good. If you're buying to aggregate and sell off, that may not be so good. But just like the demutualization, whoever has the better strategy in the private equity market is going to win
3: what advice would you give to carriers who are working with independent producers or those independent advisors?
2: I mentioned earlier, I think we're too product centric. I really think training and education is going to be a key factor. And in the past, what carriers have done is they've walked in and said, I know you're doing assets under management or I know you do this or do that. And they try to get them to move away from their core business model. And I don't think we can do that. I've been a proponent of promoting, I shared this this week, is educate and train advisors and get on their selling system. Quit trying to get them to change what they do because they're successful. I mean, imagine this conversation, I walk into a gentleman who has assets under management that generates enough income that he's comfortable. And I want him to stop doing that and focus on income protection. That's a tough sell. And that's not going to happen. That's why a lot of advisors don't do it. But maybe here's a different approach. Can you show me your business? Show me the software you use and show them where income protection is in that software. And instead of going off season, what do we do every annual review for any customer under the age of 45? You already have the data. And do your annual review and show them if they need income, but they're still gathering assets, we need to protect their income. It is financial planning. It is the core, fundamental part of financial planning. Because without income, unless you inherit all your money or don't need to work for it, or you have your financially full, it's critical, absolutely critical. And if they still don't want to do it, I'm sure there is a young advisor who is learning to trying to gather assets under management who will do it for them. I think it's the cornerstone of financial planning, and most will agree. But we don't sell this product anymore. I'm in the behavior modification business to get advisors to take a step outside their comfort zone to do something that's not in there. I spend a lot of trying to learning their software. We deal with a lot of national accounts. So what I've been doing is going through each one of them. I want to see their selling system. And then we can talk intelligently to them about, hey, on page six, this is where you put in this, and you hit a button, and it, it most of the software prems will generate a need for income protection. It's just that they're so programmed, some of them don't even have it turned on. So it's behavior change. That's the fun part of our job because I think advisors appreciate it and they really understand. They know their customer needs it. Um, Wonderful.
3: And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but what is Ash Brokerage doing to stay relevant in the disability landscape?
2: I'm gonna throw out a term that I stole out of a book I read probably 20 years ago called High Tech High Touch. So I talk about all the tech things that we're capable of doing, up to including app fulfillment. We can do a side-by-side comparison for carriers. We can show them the need-based selling and all that. That's all kind of a tech and a process. I think right now, in the world we live in, service isn't at an all-time low. I'm not talking about the insurance business. I'm talking about just in general. If you go anywhere, it appears to me that we have accepted I call it bad service. I don't know if you go out to eat or go do anything or travel. I've had some really bad experiences lately and these aren't from establishments that I never thought would give me this bad a service. And I've thought about it and right now I'm not in my permanent office so I, I'm sitting with our marketers and our internal people. And always heard we had good service from the outside. I think our differentiator is we're a high-tech organization but. I think if you ask any advisor why they work with us, it's service. We have exceptional service. It is 100% advisor centric. They go out of their way to make sure, I got the opportunity, I've been doing disability income for a long time and I knew some people that I had met years ago that do income protection, and they do business with ASH. So I thought, oh, I'm new, I'm gonna call them up, is there anything we do for you? Every single one of them, mentioned service. It wasn't any of our products because we offer all of them. It was great, you know, easy to get on your website. But when they call, even if the person doesn't know the answer, they will go find someone who gets it and get it to them. And I thought that because I've had some bad experience recently with service. And I thought, you know what? That's really our what makes us different. We're, we give better service than I can brag about our, our compensation capability that probably no one else has, our illustration capability and digitization and stuff, the app fulfillment. I think those are going to be stable stakes at some point in time because technology, everybody can have it. So I think it's a combination of high tech with the human touch.
3: So what is your opinion about the future of regulations and compliance?
2: Okay. Uh, (laughs) This is a tough one because our industry as a whole, not disability and the financial service industry. I've watched this because I have to, because I've seen what's going on with the DOL and and everybody's a fiduciary and suitability. And there's a lot that has gone on in our industry that I understand what it's for, but I believe we have overregulated our business because of a few bad eggs. Now, most good reputable carriers govern themselves. I mean, they will make sure advisors do stuff right, do paperwork right, and they do what's in the customer's best interest. The government has a heavy hand right now which actually is causing some problems. This is gonna be a long-winded answer, but I kinda of gotta go through it. So you start regulating industry so much that it becomes hard to do business. And any business you look at, if it's been over-regulated, it's stifled the growth of the business. It's doing to the industry. What happened, though, was people start dropping their securities license thousands of advisors, literally thousands of advisors, start dropping their securities license and sell a new product called Indexed. And now we put in a quandary. The carriers are like, okay, it's indexed. Is it a security? Is it a fixed product? You know, so this whole thing happens. So literally thousands of advisors migrating away from the securities business to do, get rid of it, So, that, but they're selling indexed products which look very similar to an investment product. You had literally, Thousands of advisors moving to RIA models, which are not regulated like a broker-dealer. So innovators will outthink regulators every single time. They figure that out. But let's get back to the core reason we need regulation. It's to protect the consumer. But when you get to the point where it's so hard, you're protecting them so much that they can't get access to the product and something that was good, then you're not really doing the consumer any good. You're protecting them too much to the point where you're actually harming them. To so open a brokerage account, I've done this, 62 pages of paperwork with a phenomenal amount of stuff, and that's before I even change and choose the investments. The advisor I used, I went through it, it was probably more than I had to do for a mortgage. I know it's very, very important, but the amount of paperwork and redundancy and double-checking, when I wanted to do something that was good for myself seemed a little cumbersome. And the innovators will continue to innovate, but then it put us in an awkward position. If I'm not regulated by the SEC or FINRA, are they eventually going to try to regulate all the RIAs? What what will happen? Don't know. And then index products, will they try to make them come underneath the broker-dealer and be regulated and secured? But I just think that We got to have a better balance of where we're at. And I think the regulation is actually hurting it. I even look at the small business owners. I'll give you an example. Another regulation coming. I just moved from the state of Colorado in January of this year, 2023. If you don't have a 401k, they're going to force you and charge you, the employer. If you have over 10 employees, they're going to force you to buy a 401k for your employees. Now, that's a regulation that now, the government's going to run, they run Social Security, they're going to be running your 401k, the investments for it, and define everything if you have ten more than 10 employees. No offense, but that should be done by financial professionals uh, that know small businesses. And imagine being a 10-employee company trying to get help with your government-ran 401k. That is a little scary to me. Uh, no offense to the government, but I think that's a little overreaching and, and a regulation on a business owner. Here's what's going to happen. It's already happening. Everybody's gonna be 1099, so you're gonna force a business owner, which you're already having a hard time keeping employees. You know, the great resignation everybody's talking about, right? Well, I think there's tools out there that businesses can use to retain employees. I think employees wanna be respected, treated well, and a good benefit package so if something happens, they don't lose everything they have. So health insurance, group disability, life insurance, all the core things they need, they can get through a business owner. If we force them to go, be all be 1099, they're not going to take care of themselves. So in the long run, what if I don't have any coverage, health insurance, no life, no disability income, no benefits at all, because I'm 1099. If I go to the hospital, who's going to pay for that? If I become disabled, am I going to go claim on Social Security? I mean, am I going to be dependent on the government since I don't have any of those Benefits, So, I say that and I don't know how that's gonna change. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's people doing that, but I don't believe forcing people with regulations to do things is a good thing to do. Luckily, the disability business is not heavily regulated, but all of my customers in the securities business are. That's another reason I'm encouraging to, s- to sell non-securities products. They're not regulated. As long as you do a good job and you do the right thing, it's additional revenue for you, if all of a sudden there's a new regulation that comes in, have gotten to the point where they're gonna tell people what they can charge to do some of these products. That's not the free market. Well, I'll just put it this way. I got a financial planner, I know what I get charged, I think he's worth every penny. If I wanted to, someone to do the right job for me, I didn't go with the cheapest. And if we force people to charge them less than, than what we feel is right, the government's like, This is what we think you should charge. Well, that market won't get served anymore because the advisor is gonna say, I can't make money doing it, why would I do it? So if we really help the consumer, so hey, I I gotta get off the tangent because I go on that for all day long because I'm concerned that what it's meant to do is actually hurting them because carriers and advisors will exit that market, they'll go find markets where they can make the margins they need to and get good service. I will pay extra for good service. I mean, I don't go through drive-through all the time. Sometimes I want to sit down and actually be waited on and I will find a restaurant where I want to be served while I have a meal. That's an example. I'm willing to pay a fee to an advisor that helps me during the markets are up and the one markets down and he knows my personal interest and he earns every penny.
1: That's a great answer. Brian, what type of strategic partnerships do you see working best for the carriers and BGAs?
2: I break it down into a couple categories, Kevin. I mean, I look at national accounts, and then we call them strategic partners. So let's talk about national accounts first. It is a big number of people. There could be several thousand, upwards of one. We have is twelve thousand advisors. There's no way you can penetrate that without senior leadership support. That means. Both the companies, when we have a relationship, we're dealing with our corporate folks, they support what we're doing and encourage their advisors to do it. Some people put relationships in and just, hey, we have a relationship you want to do, just call them. Our best ones, the senior leadership supports it and that makes a big difference because it has to be top down. If we try to go in and just you know, call on 12,000 advisors without any introduction or any support from senior leadership, wouldn't work. Wouldn't work at all, um, I think it would be a lot of energy without any return. The other thing is if you act like a vendor, you'll be treated like a vendor. If I go in and say, Hey, I just want you to sell my product and it's a risk product, it's pretty easy to understand. I think the best partnerships is where we we know, I mentioned earlier, you know, senior leadership supports us. We have home off contacts with our folks. We learn their selling system we call on their their management at the different levels i have to fully understand you know how they all work how they all get paid and who's accountable for who so it's knowing that customer extremely well you know if it's a ga system we ask permission of the ga to come in and help them drive revenue so i'll sum it up this way senior leadership support and knowing your customer's distribution on the bga side a lot of times people come to us because we're large and we have some capabilities they don't have. Those are good partnerships and there's synergy. On the distribution side, they have distribution capabilities and they have contacts in the marketplace. We have the backroom to support them. So we have a lot of relationships. You can call them a BGA or a unit. There's different terms everybody uses, but I call them strategic partners. Like-minded, we want to educate and train and help more advisors sell income protection. Two, they have a skill set that matches one that we have, or they don't have a skill set that matches what we're doing, and they have a skill set. It's usually they have a distribution pool of a group of advisors, and they're looking for some capabilities they don't have because they may be a certain size and can't scale it, and we have the scale the capability to do it. A lot of them come into us for technology. I mean, they really are. Our ability to help them in the back room, and we have some expertise here. I don't go into relationships. You know, they come in and they're doing X amount of business. If we don't think we're going to grow it, there's no real need to form that relationship. So I think the other thing is a lot of people will look for anything. Just, hey, I don't care how much you're doing. Let's just aggregate it all together. If there's not a growth component or they're wanting to grow, that's not a good partnership for us. We aren't looking for people that just want to kind of get out. I mean, we have bought some organizations, but most of the organizations that we've bought all are growing organizations. They're not sunsetting. Would we entertain that? Yes, but that's that's not really a partnership. That's a purchase because they're planning on exiting the business. So we're most of our partners want to grow, which makes it kind of fun because I have one right now I'm working on. We're coming together, and we're gonna double their business. And that's not mine. But with our efforts, our goal is we will declare success when we double their business of income protection they already do a good job on the other product lines.
1: Brian, what is one of the best decisions you made that had a positive impact on your career? I've been able to take risk
2: when opportunities presented themselves. I talked about this week a lot at the conference I was at and when they introduce you, They give you all the accolades and tell you all the things you've done, and I've been doing this for a while, and I've had a couple opportunities, one in particular that we changed the way that income protection was done in the industry, and there's a group of us that can celebrate and say we had took part in that. I have that same opportunity again, but it came at a risk. So my advice to anybody that wants to expand their career, take calculated risk and bet on people. I've thought about it. I've worked for quite a few different people, and I've never left those people, but I have left companies. And calculated risk, I think, are needed to take, and could easily stick your head down, do 30 years, and put my watch in, but that's not what I needed to do, because if I was gonna have an impact in this industry, I need to take those risks. And some people are asking me the same thing. I am moving to a new role. I think I'm with my eighth week. (laughs) It is a calculated risk, but the outcome will be we're gonna grow our business significantly. And I'm committed to helping the rest of the industry change and think differently. And I, I do believe some of the things we'll do and we'll get noticed. And other carriers then will do it or other BGAs will do it. So we'll change the industry, the way disabilities thought of, sold, processed, and serviced. And it starts with the simple conversation, do you have an income protection plan? Or have you talked to your customers about an income protection plan? And you can say that whether they're working or they're retired, it fits all financial planning. The other thing I've been lucky is, is people. The other thing, this is you may have in positive, I was always told this and it's a cliche. You know. hire people that are smarter than you. Well, that's one I would encourage people to do, but don't hire people like yourself. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And I didn't need a whole bunch of Bryant lobbers that have the same, you know, strengths and weaknesses. So you had to be very aware of your strengths, run with them. I was taught this a long time ago. If you ever played sports, my dad had a different position on it, and I taught my kids differently than a lot of coaches do. So if you have some strengths and you have some weaknesses, what happens a lot of time, a coach will take you aside and say, hey, work on these three things because you're not very good at them. So I had this experience with my son, and here it happened. He comes home, and he played basketball, and when I played with him, he was getting big enough where he could beat me, so I had to pay attention to what was going on. But he had some things he was really good at. And he's good. And he'd come home and he'd want to work on the three things the coach told him that he was weak at. And I said, okay, I'll do that. But if we're going to spend 10 minutes on that and we're going to spend 30 minutes with what you're good at. And he's, well, Dad, if I don't spend a lot of time on what I'm not good at, I said, well, you're going to get to the point where you're so good at what you're good at, you're going to be great at it. You're going to tell me what you're going to do and I still won't be able to stop you. You're going to learn to manage your weakness because you may never, you're never going to be great at your weakness. I mean, maybe it could, but most athletes, most people, if you have a weakness, and I still hold this, I actually heard Michael Jordan say it one time, so I guess it's a pretty good source after my, didn't really you know, resonate when my dad told me to do it. If you manage your weakness and you're so good at what you, you become great at it, no one can stop you. So that analogy with people with me is this. I'm good at some things, I wanna be great at a few things. I can't be great at everything. If there's one or two things, that would be wonderful in my lifetime to master. I also have weaknesses, and I looked for people that were really good where I was weak, and then let them let them do it. I was never anybody's boss. When you set up a tiers, I know you need it from a reporting standpoint, but my approach has always been this, we're a team. Too many times in the corporate world, no one talks, and the best idea may come from the most junior person, and no one ever wants to challenge the boss. And with respect, right, we do this from that standpoint. But I never had a room where people wouldn't talk and we would share ideas and get excited. And I had this conversation just recently with my new situation, because they're still wondering who's the new new guy, the boss, who I report to. And I made it very clear, I am from a reporting standpoint, but any ideas, any information you have, you be a student of the business. I don't want to manage you, I'm not a manager. So I'm encouraging the culture of we're a team. And I think if we did more of that in the corporate world, we'd have people asking questions in meetings, we'd have more innovation. I mean, this goes back 20 years. One time the company I was with had a thing that if you made a mistake, they gave you money because people weren't trying anything. And I'll close with this. This week I got reminded because they read my bio and all the stuff I did, the success you have. And it made me sit there and wonder. Not one mention of all the things I tried when I failed. And you asked me what before, I took a lot of risk, Kevin, when I did this stuff. And there were a lot of situations we failed at, but we came back and made it even better. But there were little failures. It's, I'd rather have a lot of little failures along my career than one big one. And I think we don't do enough of that because you no know, one wants to make a mistake. Well, you know what? If you're not making mistakes, then you you probably aren't trying to innovate or do things. And if you make a mistake, you learn from it. You know, people always want takeaways from this is that we're all put on this earth to do something. And we do it over and over until we get down to its perfection. There are some things I'm, I'll i never do that I will do great. I will make mistakes, but I know my strengths. I'm very persistent and I'm a student of the business.
3: Brian, thank you for your time today. It's been great to hear your insights on how disability benefits providers can stay relevant and the opportunities you see for the industry in the next few years. Thanks, Brian.
2: Thank you, guys. Have a great day.
3: Thank you for listening. Please make sure
0: to subscribe and share so we can stay in touch. If you would like to learn more about how global corporate solutions and global corporate leaders can help your organization recruit the best talent, increase your diversity, and save money, please visit our website at www.thegclgroup.com.